All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We do, we do trust and believe in you, and thanks for answered prayer. But we humble ourselves, and uh, we, we come to this section of Scripture and really consider how powerful and wonderful and true you really are. Uh, how your, uh, your word uh, really, really does lead and guide us by your spirit into all truth. And we thank you for that and praise you tonight. And I ask you to teach us by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Acts 17. And we covered the first section of Paul uh, traveling now with Silas and Timothy. Okay, Luke is with them, but... Uh, those that are in the ministry, that that uh, we know that that Saul, or again, remember he's called in Acts chapter 13. And I'm going to rephrase this again, remind us of the same thing that took place. The Holy Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work I had called them to do. And the church praying, fasting, laying on hands, believing that the Holy Spirit had called them out, uh, they, the church sent them out. Church in agreement with the Holy Spirit. And what we see from the beginning is this wasn't Paul and Barnabas going out. The church in Antioch was the sending church. And I just want to continue in that that understanding that this is what the church that has followed in the history of the scriptures has always done. When when one goes out to having heard from the Lord, there's that agreement together with the church. And uh, one of the books that, that we came across as I was preparing to, to be a pastor and, and being trained and, and, and taught in ministry was a book that Neil Parolo wrote called Serving as Senders. And if you're ever interested in, in a philosophy of ministry concerning missionary work, now I'm going to say it to you, everything's been done under the sun and called missionary work. Uh, if you ever get a chance to if you like satire, some of you Babylon Bee uh, type people out there who uh, who like to mess with the and able to laugh at yourselves because you get made fun of. But uh, there's a there's a YouTube, YouTuber uh, who does spoof videos uh, upon the church and he pretty much picks on the millennial church. And uh, I find that quite funny concerning the things he brings. But he does a missionary one. His name is John Christ, like like you'd say Christ, but it's Christ. And he does this one where this millennial couple are, are on the mission field in Bali, ministering the gospel or ministering to the scuba instructors. And talks about the persecution when the scuba instructor told, told her to take her cross necklace off before they go, before they go underwater. And, and, and he told me I couldn't wear this cross and he was persecuting me. Well, she couldn't wear it in the, Going scuba. And said, and after this, when we're done in Bali, we really sense the Lord's calling us to the wine country in, in Italy. And again, as we, uh, play on those things, and, and I make fun of that as well, and being able to laugh at ourselves, uh, I think we're in a, a most interesting time frame in history as we're studying, we're studying the book of Acts. And remember this. That, that Jesus entered into history, right? Or entered into this world in the time of history, uh, in the ripeness of time. Uh, God, in, in the fullness of time, sent forth Jesus Christ. The same thing is going to happen when he returns. The Bible describes that there is a fullness of the Gentiles to come in. Again, as you study prophecy and think of the return of Jesus, and even as he's at the right hand of the Father, when that last Gentile, or again, believer in Jesus Christ who is saved by his gospel is saved. When that fullness happens, we believe that the church is going to be caught up. We believe that the imminent return of Jesus Christ uh, as revealed in the scriptures. Now, when Paul is going out, so Paul and Barnabas, but you're like, oh, I mentioned it's Silas now in Acts 17. Remember that study where there was the sharp conflict between Paul and Barnabas overtaking John Mark. Do we do we take the guy who left us in ministry or not? And Barnabas says we take him. Son of encouragement is probably going to get a guy back into ministry pretty quickly. That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad way to be and then seeking to bring him back. But but Paul says I'm not going. I'm not going again with him. And so they they had this sharp dispute in Acts 15. And then Silas, who had stayed after the letter came back, and and he joins up with Paul. Now, something takes place in Acts 15, and again, I would, would remind this to us. The church in Antioch, 
Paul says, let's go back and see and visit the churches that the brethren that are believing. Let's go visit them. And that's, then the conflict arose. But when, when they're going back out, the church of Antioch once again lays hands on Paul and Silas and prays. Again, I, I, I'm, I'm putting that part to that. Uh, and they commended them to the word of his grace. They were commended again to go out. Now, uh, something I learned uh, 2013 uh, out of the East Coast Pastors Conference concerning uh, being at an what, what, what the Holy Spirit said to me, an intersection or a pivot in all ministry. To either have dead works that go nowhere. How many mission efforts, how, many, how much money and time and people have been sent forth in dead works? And, and don't go out and accomplish anything and don't preach the gospel. And, and, and God's not uh, behind that. There, there's no power uh, of, of Jesus Christ going forth in any of those ventures. And, and, and we had begun to do things. And, and really the Holy Spirit at that point described this pivot in ministry concerning being spirit-filled in all ministry, being spirit-led. The idea that we don't just do things just to do them. Okay. Now, why I say that is when we come to Acts chapter 17, and we see that Paul, being led by the Holy Spirit together with Silas, made their way. They could not go to Asia. They could not go to Mysia. They could not go to Bithynia. They make their way over to Europe. That's how they end up at Philippi. That's the European continent. And in making their way there and then uh, surpassed Apollonia and Amphipolis and came to Berea where a synagogue of the Jews made their way to Berea, synagogue of the Jews. And, and what happened in Berea, uh, the second place, the, the people there had a noble heart and mind concerning the word of God. And, and many were turning and, and I simply say this, the church in agreement with the Holy Spirit, sending forth, commended by the grace of God. And, and let's, let's remind ourselves of this. The apostle Paul is just that. An apostle. Now, I think that's an important understanding because how many have gone out saying, I am, and I'm this, I'm that. And, and I'll, be, I'll be honest with you, when I consider that pivot of ministry in, in 2013 of being spirit-led, the whole idea was to not have dead works. And, you know, that we, we started this. We started Calvary Chapel Grand Forks because of all the prayers of those that have gone before us. This church plant was prayed for 12 years before I even knew about it. In that the vision given to have a Calvary Chapel planted in, in Grand Forks and to have that happening. So when the door opened up from a couple who moved here and Calvary Chapel Bemidji said, we're not doing anything in Grand Forks. And they said, well, try Fargo. They call us up and say, well, let's, let's get started next month. Door opened up, walked through the open door. We were barely 15 people in Fargo. Yeah? It was more than that. You probably remember the details better. We are barely 10 people in Fargo. Strike that first estimation from the record. Uh, and, and do you believe in the power of God to open a door? And as I've shared these things with you in that way, but along comes some time that passes and you start doing things and you maybe don't get the results you want. Like, I didn't get the results that I thought would happen. And in 2013, coming to that pivot, in the context of the church of Sardis, the church of Sardis with dead works, Revelation 3, and, and, and the pivot in ministry. And, and here's the key. The key for me in that pivot was in being spirit-filled and spirit-led in all ministry was prayer. Prayerlessness in decisions will wreck the church. That's what the pastor up front said, and I believed him. Now, isn't, that's not a bad way to live. Isn't that Berea? We came out of Berea where they, they heard and received the things that Paul said, and then they'd open up their Bibles and they would check it out. How many times have you been in a Bible study and somebody's saying something? Do you open your Bible and intently look and see, and they're, they're quoting this passage and you're looking at the two things? And, and, and I think that's the, that, that's a beautiful thing to have. Uh, and, and when I say that, prayerlessness in ministry will wreck the church. And it's like, we, we need to pray. At all the decisions, all these things taking place in our lives concerning what's coming or uh, what are we going to do, we find that Paul, the brethren sent him away. And I'm going to pick up in 16, well, look, 15. They conducted Paul and brought him to Athens. So they basically put him on a ship with bodyguards. And I don't know if they were big bodyguards or... 
little bodyguards, or maybe they went stealth mode and they, they dressed him and disguised him, who knows, and, but they conduct him and bring him to Athens. Now, in and of itself, we come to this place that all of a sudden, if you, uh, I don't know if Paul had his eyes set on Athens, we don't know that. We find out later on, he has a desire to preach to Israel in Jerusalem that his countrymen of Israel would be saved. And then as he's there preaching, and he's encouraged, and, and the Lord says to him, again, he's, he's praying, he's seeking, and God says, just as you've, you've, you've testified of me in Jerusalem, you will also testify, testify of me in Rome. That's, that's the Holy Spirit leading, guiding. That's, that's the answered prayer. Now, before I just talk all about that tonight, let's get into the, the section of Scripture here. In Acts 17, while Paul waited for them in Athens. So Paul and Silas, right? Excuse me. Paul goes ahead to Athens, but he has Silas and Timothy remain there. So the whole conflict over Paul preaching the gospel in Berea, they, they, they left Silas and Timothy to minister to the saints. And we're going to watch now some, the, uh, the ministry changes and grows and, and others come into the ministry and Paul is able to send Timothy. And or, hey, go see the brethren there. And then as Paul uh, goes forward, he finds his way in Athens and his spirit is provoked or was provoked within him. So Acts 17, verse 16, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked with them when he saw the city was given over to idols. Now, it is not a bad thing to be provoked to love and good works, stirring one another up, being provoked. Did you see that? Now, one of the things that I'm watching happen is most of the things happening for American Christians is news-driven, which has behind it a, can you believe how bad it is, and, and get, I can't believe they did that. It is not provoking us onto love and good works, but many times it's provoking us onto, I want to get them, right? And what Paul, again, I just, I love his example. If you thought it was bad to hear what people will worship, or maybe you've lived here your entire life and now you're watching, I mean, uh, Honest, Fargo, we have people now worshiping Allah, thousands of people worshiping Allah in, in, in Fargo. Probably hundreds to thousands worshiping their various Hindu gods. And, and really it's the culture in both that, that if you've ever met people groups that move to a new country, the culture aspect wants to hold that, that group tight. And so what happens in their worship, they establish the worship of their Idols, yes, I said it, idols, right? The the idea of worshiping false gods. And maybe before we would do Bible studies or we would talk, you could go around on it, and here you are, a nice little sleepy little city like Grand Forks until 1997 when things woke up, uh, if you will. But in, in that regard of you, yes, it's, it's, but it's a small town America, and there wasn't this worship of these false gods, Going on, really not not by large numbers. I, Tanya and I talk about this when she was in school and in, growing up in Moorhead, Minnesota, right next to Fargo, and there were there was not very much diversity. In fact, most of the people there had descended from, and, and nothing had moved around much concerning the history of again mostly Norwegian, mostly Swedes. So we had two kinds of Lutheran churches in Fargo: Swedish Lutheran and Norwegian Lutherans. But then as that would change, and now you find out. And, and what's happening now, it's like reading what they had in Athens, and the city was given over to the worship of idols. Understatement from our perspective concerning the, the structures that would be built. You know, you think of the, what was it, the Crystal Cathedral out in California. I don't know if uh, you've ever heard about that. Uh, who was the guy who did that, the Hour of Power? Schuler. Schuler, Robert. Do you know him well? Friends. Yeah, there you go. All right. So we were cruising around, uh, had some extra time, like, Chicks like saying to the group of pastors who are with us, and we're, we're hitting in and out burgers. We're at the, for the pastor's conference. He says, all right, guys, what do you want to see? One of the guys from, from Brule, Wisconsin, quickly pops up and says, I want to see the Crystal Cathedral. Yeah, it, well, it didn't fail. It, it, it is failed from the beginning. The Catholics have it now, by the way. Oh, I doubt it. The Roman Catholics bought the property, though. So it's owned by the Catholic Church. Yeah, so... I mean, that, that could be a failure. So Jim Holly says it failed. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, there you go. That's what I said. All right, very good. So he just says, let's go. And so we go to this place, and, and we just go, and you're like, you look at this big structure, and you're like, what do they do here? 
And, and you see all this money poured in and this, this property and millions and millions of dollars, just this building there. And, and you're like, this is, it's odd to see something like that. And then you can, and now you have the internet. So you want to see the monstrosities of what people build. And, and you can look, let's be honest, most of the structures that have been monstrosities and all throughout history, a lot of times have been either palaces for kings or temples for gods. At Mars Hill, the Oropagus, again, I'm probably saying it wrong again. Uh, and, and what's happening there in Athens on Mars Hill, again, as, as you would look up there, the Parthenon, right, that's, that's there. But the structures and the pillars, even the ruins that remain, they, it, it's a structure like the, the length of a football field. And every so often there's these huge marble pillars and it, and it houses the, the worship of all these gods and, and the worship. And again, Mars Hill, Ares, right? the same uh, Greek, Greek god, Roman god, same, same god that is worshipped. And yet the city's namesake is the worship of Athena. Now, I'm not going to develop any of those things, and, and it was very well known, but what we see in Roman, in Roman society, the worship of the Greek gods, alive and well. So we come to this, that he's being provoked, cities given over to idols. So if you're provoked by what's happening in your city, what are you going to do about it? You're going to be like Lot. Maybe you're provoked by homosexuality. You're like, I can't stand this, and it's, and it's like this, and, you, and you, you're vexed in your soul like Lot was, and you know you're living in days a lot. But are you going to share the gospel? Are you going to preach Christ? Are you going to, are you going to confront a, in a loving manner a life that's contrary and at enmity and find out a way to tell them the good news about Jesus? Or maybe you're looking at, at some of the different people groups and you're watching them worship. Well, Paul, seeing that, is provoked. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogues. So he, he is reasoning with the Jews. He's speaking with them. And and then the Gentile worshipers. Now, I love what Pastor Chuck uh, Smith says about this. He describes in the society of the, of the Romans, again, I, you think about how uh, the debauchery, really, and then the, uh, the, the Roman, which Greek culture based, that the, the status of, of the wife in, in that society and culture was actually not much more than a slave. And so he described that what was happening in the synagogues, worshiping one God, the, the monotheistic versus the pantheism of all these gods you worship and whatever, whatever pleasure you want, the pleasure-seeking worship, thinking you can appease the God for the pleasure you want. So I want this pleasure, so I'm going to worship this God and I'm going to give, I'm, I'm going to, give to them to satisfy them so they can give me that pleasure. And that's really how the idols were worshipped. Now, when I talk about it in that way, that's the society, culture, and I'll add now philosophy, because Paul encounters the Epicureans and the Stoics, and as he's reasoning in the synagogue, and then the Gentile worshipers, primarily the women, who did not want to be in that system where their husbands would go to the temples and worship and have prostitutes and do all those things in their home, you know, as basically slaves. And so many of them start to seek to find out worshiping with the Jews. And then he's in the marketplace, and that's a famous marketplace. Up on Mar Hills, you can look down below. I forget the name of it off the top of my head. You know the name of it? Agora, thank you. And and so these things, and you can go there today, and you can see the proximity of all this. So Paul is there daily with those who happen to be there. And, and so the, this is daily life. And I like this. When I first came across this, I had to learn how to take Jesus with me to work. And you might not think that first that's much, but ultimately as you're going about your work and you're doing your work, what do you talk about when you get your breaks? You know, and I, I love this. Uh, you, if after, your, after some experience, you can preempt a couple things. Because if you're talking to people about Jesus at your work, unless you work at Chick-fil-A, maybe they'd like you to talk about Jesus there. And I don't know. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But if I would go to places and I just started talking or answering. I would answer my phone. Praise the Lord. I'd answer my business phone. Praise the Lord. This is Seth. And that was back in the day when you got more phone calls because nobody had texting and email really wasn't going yet. So if you wanted to get something done, you would pick up the phone. It's amazing. I still do that. If I want to get something done, I pick up the phone. Much faster and more efficient. Right? And then I can also say things and it's usually not written down. 
Oh, wait, you guys don't think like that. I do. All right. Now, concerning this, the, the coming to this place of, of in the marketplace, I was like, hey, I'm in the marketplace. How do I live for Jesus? And I started to live for Jesus in my work and took him to work. And guess what? People don't like it, do they? So I got reported for having on my email and at two places where I worked, and I put this tagline, Acts 16.31b. We just studied it a couple weeks ago. It's in Philippi. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So that's on my email for a while. Well, I saw other people putting their Christmas themes and their snow themes and their nice little sayings on their email. This And themed email, new thing. People start putting their themes on their emails. I, I would have... I. I would have 70 to 100 emails a day when, when this got rolling. I got involved in so many different places with where I was working at with, with CHS. And, and, and so a lot of them aren't directed to me, but some of them are. And so then a lot of people are seeing my email and on that signature. So I get a call from the VP, like the, the vice president over the whole country operations. And, and he starts talking, well, I'm a believer too. I said, well, I didn't know that. And not so many words, but then he says, well, why don't you put a different verse on there? And he gives me some innocuous verse that doesn't have any power of conviction. I said, no, I got the, I got the verse I want on there. And, and just again, he's like, you need to change your verse. Why? Right? And just started, to, well, we had a complaint. Well, you should, you should hear how many people say, wow, I like how you answer your phone and I like your verse on your email. But again, these are, this is before all the social pressure, but this has always been going on. So Paul's stepping into that place. We have the marketplace now. We have all the philosophies of the world are entrenched and embedded in our society and culture when we go out. Things are, things are melded together. There is so much like philosophy and culture in the entertainment of today. If you're watching any of the movies, doing any of those things, this is all messed up. So how did that go? Did I remove my verse? I did remove my verse. Lord, somebody just be submitted unto that. And but I but then now I now I would be witnessing to my to the vice president whenever I talk to him. Right? So he's gonna say, take that verse off. And I would just spur him on to love and good works because he said he was a believer too. See? And there's nothing quite like living a righteous life and saying, and again, think about this, company parties, you know, things like that, and I'm not drinking, I'm not cussing, I'm just like I'm not living that way, and and just and he's out doing that. And, and I was like, well, I, you know, just these interactions, like, well, I, I don't do those things. And now when it comes to this, back on track, let's get rolling in the study. I could talk about fun stuff like that. In the marketplace, daily, and, and he learns to preach Christ, whoever happened to be there. And while he's reasoning there, and, and what happened in that society and culture, that in the marketplace, you have time. When do we have time for anything anymore? See, and they would have time and they would sit and they would talk. And in doing that, the, he encounters the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Philosopher, it's a, it's, a, it's a compound word in Greek that simply means friend of wisdom. Or a, like, you know, phileo, right? You hear the, the, the friend or brotherly, right? So the friend of wisdom concerning that and a particular group of people who are known. And you can look up on the Internet now. Everybody knows what the Epicureans and the Stoics were about. But literally, the Epicureans... Uh, sort of fatalistic in their philosophy that these pantheistic gods that people would worship, that they really believed that these gods existed and they would mess in people's lives because the gods were capricious. And if you weren't appeasing them and feeding them sacrifices, they might not be kind to you and give you the pleasure you want. So when you didn't, things didn't go your way, that was a god messing with you, and it's just going to happen, So, so get used to it and live your life anyway. What does it matter? Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow? How do you guys know that philosophy? That's Epicurean. Well, it turns out Epicurean wasn't new. You can look at the book of Ecclesiastes and guess who knew all about that philosophy? And all of his wisdom to seek out the pleasures of life and wrote all about it? The preacher, Solomon. Do you ever realize Ecclesiastes is supposed to preach to the, to the philosophies and, and societies and cultures? If you use it rightly, you can use that to preach. Paul preaching to the uh, Epicureans, they're hearing him and they, they say, what does this babbler want to say? And, and, and putting that forth, and then others said he seems to be a proclaimer. Well, a babbler, uh, it, it's actually a descriptive word that I think a word picture defines it the best, is it describes like a bird that would come and pick up, like say, uh, a seed 
from the ground and gather it up and take it away. Or maybe in the way we think of things, a crow with roadkill on the side of the road, uh, and the crow the crow didn't kill that, right? The crow the crow did, the crow was just picking that picking that up, taking that away and carrying away that food, and, and that's a babbler. Paul, you just you just picked up these philosophies laying around because you you've been over you've been listening to other people and you just got pieces here and there. Now this is important for us because how many churches have been started almost in that babbler kind of kind of fashion and just just pick things up along the way? What are they going to base it upon? And there are now philosophies. Books written that churches follow to get you success, to have large numbers, large people, successful churches with a purpose, purpose-driven church. And, and along the way, these things come. And, and, and yet, when I come to this, I watch Paul. How many missionaries have gone out now in various philosophies? And, and I'll be very honest with you. There's a good portion of church that sends out social gospel only. We'll go feed people. We'll clothe them. Will meet their needs, but they're not preaching Christ. And why I, I talk about this, if someone tries to recreate the power of God that came upon the Apostle and they had a picture of Paul in Athens on Mars Hill, they might actually start a church and call it Mars Hill, where they're going to enter into the engagement of philosophies in this world and they're going to have their own philosophy of how to live their lives. And then write books about it, and make it on the New York best time, best time seller list. And well, that's already been done. And then that guy crashed and burned. And now I'm not—I don't know the guy's soul, don't know his salvation. But but I, I look at this, and why would you ever name your church Mars Hill? I cannot figure out that you would go to the place where they would sit and just talk about philosophies, or would you say uh, a great name for a church would be? Let, let's go to the cross. Let's go to the place where Jesus died. Let's go. Let's go. Let's let's have church there at the power where where and and the real answer. Well, this babbler, like Paul, you just pick these things up and a, seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. Again, the King James says strange gods. So Paul's now preaching Christ, and that's what it says in eighteen. He's preaching to them Jesus and the resurrection. Well, what did what did our Lord tell the apostles when he sent them out? You go into all the world and you make disciples. Right? You make disciples of Jesus, right? You, you make disciples and baptize them into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and the promise of Jesus being with you. Well, in, in Luke's gospel, Luke records that Jesus said, you go and preach in Christ Jesus remission of sins. You go preach Christ. Mark says, go preach this gospel to all creatures. And, and you look at, and so the, the, the apostles were, were called to go out and preach, and so they're doing that. And, and as they're sent out to do that, and Paul being an apostle, he, he's provoked, and what does he want? He wants to preach Christ, so he's preaching Christ in the resurrection. And, and they overhear him, so they, they take him and, and they, they bring him to the Areopagus. Am I saying it right now? Close enough? How would you say it? Areopagus. I won. I finally got there. All right. I, I just hacked it up last time I did this study. And he comes in and they bring him forth and they put him and said, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are, you are bringing some strange things to our ears, therefore we want to know what these things mean. Now, I look at this now, and, and let's face it, the world is ripe. And I think of all the things that, that are now available for what you want in the world, it's no longer how do I get this, it's, it's I can now get it. And, and it's ripe in, that, in the effect of whatever pleasure somebody has sought after. And the world is insisting on having their pleasures and calling it moral. Whatever it is. And so the philosophies now that really rule in, in think, think of this country, the philosophies that really rule in this world is something kind of along the lines of probably why Nike sold so many t- uh, tennis shoes and T-shirts and stuff. Just do it. If it works for you, it works. I'm happy. How many people go out and do things just along that line of it works for me and I'm happy? And if it works for me, how can it be bad? And if it feels good, how can it be bad? And, and that's the ruling philosophy. And then that, that really panders to a humanistic viewpoint, right? To, that you, you be, again, and then it turns very quickly into loving of self. And that's pretty much the philosophy. If you want to understand the philosophies, you say, hey, people are going to love themselves. Boasters, proud, arrogant, who, their favorite subject is them. 
And so this part of, of knowing the ripeness of all these philosophies and, and then religions, and people aren't, aren't switching back and forth so much anymore because this thing called the Internet with the, the, the pleasure panel in the hand where you can go to wherever you want to go to and get whatever you want, whatever somebody wants, they go get. And, and then now we're called to live for Christ. And, and are you provoked over what people worship? Are you provoked how, how nobody seems to know the Son of God anymore? And, and as this is provoked, do you make plans to do anything about it? And so Paul's put forth to speak, and the Athenians and the foreigners who came there, and, and on Mars Hill, that they had time for this, and they would, and 21 says, they spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or hear something new. So they put Paul forth, and now he's able to preach Christ. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. King James says superstitious. The Greek word carries with the context. Think, think about the valuable thing in our society. Well, they're sincere and they worship. Don't all roads lead to God and, and try to equalize the false religions with the true? And can't they all get along? And Christianity is, is, Christianity is to be blamed and, and the things of others. And, and so all this gets blended together. And, and so Paul, what's he do? He says, you're, you're very religious. You're superstitious. You, you, in your worship of the pan, the pan, you know, the pan, the, the multiple of gods, you gotta make sure you don't miss one, right? You know how many people, again, my pastor talks about men in the military who they would have, they would have a Star of David, they would have a cross, they would have a rabbit's foot as they're going into, and they, they would have all the jewelry from all these religions and got to have all my bases covered. Want to make sure that I appease all the gods in case, in case something goes on. And, and many live that way. Now, in Paul standing there and finding they're religious, he says, in passing through, seeing the idols and looking in the city, he saw the objects of your worship. And I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Now they haven't, again, in the time of the, of the archaeological section in the, in the Thompson Chain Bible, they had never found that inscription in, in um, Athens. But they found that inscription of the same God that was worshipped in Pergamum to an unknown God. So this is very real. And, and look where Paul says, it's therefore the one whom you worship without knowledge, agnostics. It's the, out of that root word, without knowledge. Ag, ag, agnosos. The, the no experiential knowledge, but we, we make room for an unknown God because we don't know if we're not going to worship, we might miss him. And so Paul just preaches through the unknown God. He says, him I proclaim to you. It's not like reasoning in the synagogue, is it? One of my, one of my questions after I talk to somebody, well, do you have any church experience? Did you ever grow up in church? And I'll just say, hey, do you know David in the Bible? Or hey, your name's in the Bible, and I just gauge where they're at. And, and just start to, well, what, what basis do I have here? If I say God, are they think, what are they thinking about? Are they thinking about, you know, the New Age uh, website they've been at that talks about God and uh, God's a light? And, you know, I mean, you do realize everything is ripe and every philosophy. You don't know what the person you're talking to, what they even think about anything. But guess who does know? The Holy Spirit of God. And just come back to this. At a pivot in ministry, being spirit-led, Asking discerning of spirits. What is what is this person? Are they of the Lord, not of the Lord? People will have words. You ever try to witness to to a Mormon, and they have all the same words that you have, but when they use the word Savior, they mean something entirely differently. They use the same jargon, and and this is that part when Paul is talking to them, and he starts with the unknown God and begins to proclaim him. But then he, then he preaches Christ, and he goes to the God who made the world. He starts with the creation. God who made the world and everything in it, since, the, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temple made with hands. Solomon, when he built the temple, that's his declaration. We built this temple for you, but we know that you, are not, you do not dwell in a temple made with hands. In other words, you, you, don't, you don't need us to make this for you to be there. All the false gods, what did you have to do? You had to have a temple so that they would come there. Again, back to that appeasing and how that would work. We, we need to offer these sacrifices. So he's simply describing God who made all things. He does not dwell in that temple. He doesn't need that to be here. He's, he's everywhere. Again, you start to see how he begins to preach. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. So in many times, the worship of the idols, the people would come and they would, they would give things. Now, uh, the testimonies that came out of India, 
rough place, man. The the worship of all those gods, millions of gods, Hindu caste system, worshiping, you know, where where they believe in that reincarnation. So they so they begin in this in this demonic, again, blindness, worshiping animals. Well, they'll they'll go out of their way to save this particular bug or rat or cow, whatever it might be. But in order to appease, they're in a drought. In order to appease the God that would give them rain, they throw their babies into the river Ganges to sacrifice unto the river gods. And there have been many missionaries who get there like 20 minutes late, find a woman just weeping and wailing and crying on, on the side of the river and find out, why, why, are, you, why are you crying so much? Well, had you come here 20 minutes ago, I wouldn't have had to have thrown my baby in because they preach Christ under. Now, those, those things that, that, that now you look at what happened with Paul and he goes on and proclaiming who God is and describing how he's to be worshipped. And this goes uh, verse by verse. And I absolutely love that phrase in 20, uh, 25. Since he gives to all life, breath, and all things, the source of life, the creator, there is no reincarnation. I, I worked with a guy at the uh, collection agency when I began to take Christ to the marketplace and where I was working, and his name was Larry, and he was about 20 years older than me, and, and he would start talking. I would just share things. So, well, let's go do Bible studies. Let's, let's grab lunch. Let's go do this. And I started to share with him, and he was like, he was hung up that, that reincarnation has to be real. He says, reincarnation in the Bible? He says, no. But so, so I just started taking him through the scriptures, and I could not convince him that reincarnation wasn't real. So in India, the effect of reincarnation causes them to worship certain bugs and save their lives, and, and, and yet it gets all messed up. That's where I was going with that. And it says in 26, He has made from one blood every nation and all to dwell on the face of the earth. And then he goes on to one more statement. He says, and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. You know what Paul's preaching? That God who made all things didn't take his hands off creation, did he? That God's will is in the world, and that God's will in every person being born into this world, God appoints that person to, to who they're born to, where they dwell, and, and just describes God's intimate involvement with his creation. Now, as he's preaching Christ crucified, resurrected, before he gets up there, he has to start. And he just starts with the creator. And he starts with the attributes of God. He starts with God as love and mercy. Now, he's not using those words, but he's describing to these people who worship these false gods how the living God is different and how that he has given each person pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him. Like finding God by chance. But I believe this with all my heart as the missionaries went out and they understood this. And, and if anybody honestly was seeking for God to reveal himself, God would send somebody to them. You know, people always ask, what about the pygmies? And what about this? And what about that? Hey, as they, they would see in creation or the, the understanding of the living God within them, and they would cry out to him, God would send somebody to them. And this is that, that place as people would hear that and answer. And Paul revealing this, that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him, find him, though he's not far from any one of us. Like they're searching for something they can't find, like in the dark, looking for God when he is right there. And this is what he starts to describe. And he says, for in him we live and we move and we have our being. And just a great understanding for someone who knows nothing of God, worships idols, seeks every pleasure, does whatever they want to do. Hey, just start Start talking with people about life and, and what do you think about that and where is God in all this and, and just start, start at that place and, and you got to know God. So the key is, right, they're worshiping the unknown God and Paul just says, God is knowable. And he starts to describe who God is and, and if you know God and, and really when we witness to somebody, what are we really sharing with them? The knowledge of the Son of God. And in this Really, again, you think sermon. Again, I say, I say evangelistic. He's preaching Christ. For in him we live, live and move and have our being. And then he uses a reference, as some of your poets also have said, for we also are his offspring. And just describing that, they're poets who had, in seeking after God, had this understanding that God created and that, 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 that people came forth from 
from God. And in, in using that, he says, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver. And he just, just lays it out. His gold and silver, you get that out of the ground, you heat it up, right? You, you refine it, and, and then you make this image and you put God in this image and likeness. And, and if you're into, if you're into something pornographic, you, or, or sensual, then you make that God to have those attributes that, that's what I really want. And so you depict it. And Pastor Chuck would always talk about the worship of idols. And, he's, and again, from the scriptures, whatever you worship, you become like. Whatever you give yourself to worship, it has its effect upon your life that that's the likeness. So if you worship a deaf and dumb idol, what what happens to your life and understanding? You become deaf and dumb. You don't see these things and you worship pleasure. And these are the things that happen. Therefore, since the offspring of God, we think not that the divine nature is gold or silver or something shaped by art and men's devisings. Truly these times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now, and, and this is where I, where I bring us tonight, commands all men everywhere to repentance. And it simply is the gospel commands repentance along this line. The living God has sent forth his one and only son into the world. Right? He died on the cross and rose again. And in Christ Jesus is preached the remission of sins, What's the repentance? The repentance is change your mind about the Son of God. Change your mind about how God is to be worshipped. He's preaching repentance along these lines to get him to repent and commands every man to repent because, because judgment's coming. That's what 31's about. Judgment's coming. Seemingly, you say, what does it matter? Remember that philosophy, do whatever works, if it feels good? Most people have not attached now in the society, philosophies, culture, that there is a consequence for their works, and that there is judgment coming from God who will require. And he says there's an appointed day by the appointed man, if you will. He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained and has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So Paul here attaches the resurrection of Jesus Christ unto the second coming that for the world will mean judgment for their works that they have done. Now in the beginning, at book of Acts, it was again, or, or John preaching Christ before he comes, making the way. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Do you talk? Do you preach? Do you talk about the day of the Lord? What is the day of the Lord? It's a day of destruction from the Almighty. Isaiah prophesied about the day of the Lord coming 2,700 years ago. Hasn't come yet. But the day of the Lord coincides with, if you will, a time period in which Jesus will come back to rapture the church. Okay? And then the Antichrist will come into the world and will cause the world to bow down and worship Satan and will demand loyalty to the, to the power of buying and selling and then with a, a way, a mark, to prove that you are in and buy and sell that you did worship and do worship, and if you don't, off with your head. And in that promise of the Lord's return, that when he comes back, he's going to judge. So Paul goes right there, and he's given assurance of this judgment to come. He just says, resurrection from the dead. And, and I love this. If Jesus is alive and he said he was coming back, then the promise of his return and that there he revealed judgment. He revealed hell. And this is how Paul preaches. He has given us assurance of judgment to come by the resurrection from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection from the dead, wasn't it, who, who was the host of the gong show? Do you remember years ago? Chuck, uh, no? Chuck Berry. No, not Chuck Berry. What was the, anyway, you know the concept, right? You'd have two talent shows and, and then the judges would say they didn't like it. They'd go over and hit the gong. Well, Paul gets gonged off of Mars Hill over the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, we'll wrap this up. They heard the resurrection. They, they put him away. Others said, we'll hear again on this matter. Paul departed. Some men joined him and believed, and then you have their names. Dionysus, the um, actually local man, right? Right there from the Areopagus. And then a woman named Damaris and others with them. Find your way to 1 Corinthians. So the next place Paul goes... 
The next place Paul goes is he goes to Corinth right after Athens. And I'll see if I can find it. Yeah, go to 1 Corinthians one eighteen. Next city he goes to when he writes the letter back to him. You know that the, the, the gods that were worshipped in Athens and Corinth and philosophies, same thing. And, and here's his word to the Corinthians. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Where does Paul get that understanding? He was just on Mars Hill and preaches the cross and resurrection, and he is considered a fool by those who are perishing, those who are under that judgment. But to those who are perishing, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Again, I don't know if Paul's thinking about the guys he uh, was with on in the marketplace, and but when he's in Corinth, he's certainly going to let them know. Where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age? Has not God made the wisdom of this world uh, foolish? The wisdom of this world. We were a church plant, probably about five, ten people in Fargo, and we'd get visitors. They were rare. The first probably three years, I mean, we didn't have many visitors at all. And then we were out, and then we when we were out in a public location, and we were at the hotel, and visitors started to come. And one woman in particular, I think maybe her dad or stepdad or something influenced and heard about Calvary Chapel. And she came and, and, and she said, Would, uh, I'm trying to figure things out. Uh, there's this movie on, I don't know if it was already on YouTube or it probably, I don't think YouTube really existed. Uh, it was on a website and they had put a video out there and the movie was Zeitgeist. And it's a German word for spirit of the age. And so she says, I'm trying to figure this out. And so I had one of these, right, Mars Hill moments with her and her live-in boyfriend, right? And she's trying to absolve her guilt over how she's now living, contrary to how she was brought up. And so found this video, The the Spirit of the Age, and and really was a a preparation for the spirit of Antichrist and and for the Antichrist to come. And, And so I watched through the whole thing, and then I shared the gospel with her in an email. Or phone call. I can't remember if that was a phone call. I don't remember her name. Seemed like I kind of can. This, we're talking almost 20 years ago, probably 17, 18 years ago. I don't know if you remember her at all. And and she only came to service like once or twice. And she thanked me for actually watching the video and giving the honest answer. And I, and I preached Christ and I also gave her the warning. And she didn't turn to the Lord. Now, I, I we're not responsible for what the results. If you think about it, Jeremiah had the worst results of all the Old Testament prophets. But he faithfully said everything that God wanted him to say to a rebellious people. And we're told that Jeremiah was is, is one of the greatest prophets because he said what God wanted to say in the place and in the context of what God wanted him to say. The results really aren't ours, are they? But our witnesses. Acts 1, when we were studying this, this Acts study, I'll remind you was, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in all Jerusalem and Judea, or both Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. So I encourage you, right? I'm encourage you, if you're in a pivot in your life, your personal life over being spirit-filled, Where's, are you provoked when other people are, are doing this? Are you Are you mentioning Jesus Christ, death, resurrection, judgment. Are you mentioning, and I got to drive in the car with one of my coworkers because in my day job, and I love having a regular platform with people, and and this has been independent desks, and I don't get to interact with people. Warehouse was a target-rich environment. Warehouse, I'm always interacting with people. Now I'm at a desk, I'm doing other things. They're at their desks. It's not like you just sit around and get to do that so we're, we're out in the car i just i just start talking with him this week and it was this this week and two times i just started with this you know what uh, one of the best things about being a pastor is i'm at that place where where i get to see god work in people's lives and i am also like i'm also trying to rescue someone right now and so i'm, I'm pleading with them to turn back to christ and and trying to, to rescue and save and pleading with them you know that again just like turn from your sin and come back and and as I'm doing that, I said, well, 
I also see, I also get to see some of the, the worst things that people go through. And that's usually when I'm called upon. And, and then how do I bring them to this truth? And, and so this is my coworker who's growing up in a small town and just interacting. And I just say this, my second trip with him in the same week. So that was the first time, you know, when I'm trying to rescue somebody, just saying about what it is to be a pastor and I get to be at the place. And, and it's not because I'm a pastor, but it's because I got that into that place in people's lives. See, Paul's an apostle and he's sent out, but what is an apostle who's sent out? What is he all about? Preaching Christ, right? An apostle and a teacher, a preacher. And so on my second trip with my coworker, I just simply, I simply, and I just, I'm, I'm texting out, I got a couple things going on and I'm getting a text uh, from one of, one of the sisters in church and describing, uh, again, how there had been a, a key, uh, like how, how God, in, in her personal relationship with God, had given her the understanding that in, heading into 2023 was about forgiveness. And out of the blue, this, someone in this, in this sister's life from, from times past called and said, I, I, I need to ask you a couple questions about growing up and, then, and the things that I did to you and, 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 and what was done. And I'm so sorry I did to that. Wait, wait, I, I, will you please forgive me? And so I'm just telling my coworker how God was working in this sister's life concerning forgiveness. And then someone from her past calls up and asks for forgiveness. Seemingly, what we say, we say out of the blue. But is it, it's not out of the blue, is this stuff? And then, and then I said, and then I was looking at my text and then, and then, the sister ran into another person who had been at church and not not left so well and kind of angry and you know you guys are horrible people stuff like that and and she she says well I just I just want will you please forgive me for all the things I said and how I left church and like and so I'm reading this text while I'm driving with my coworker I said I said I don't think I'm weird all right I mean I might be weird but I just got to figure out how to way to communicate. Remember I was telling you how I get to be at the place where God is at work and you can tangibly know that God is at work through answered prayer and doing these things and the power of forgiveness. So what am I, what am I instilling in him? That God is real, right? Think of, think of what are we, what are we battling? We're battling all these philosophies that people, if they even believe that God is real, then this next one is God even good. So you think you just go in and just preach Christ? You just you go to 1 Corinthians 15.3, the gospel, Jesus died on the cross, rose again, that you've convinced them of anything? No, you've got to meet them where they're at. So Lord, we thank you for the Spirit. And being at a pivot in ministry, we ask that you would lead and guide and that your power would be at work in our lives. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so I have an announcement to make so you can cancel that off there.